0: Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world, welcome to the show. This is the Millennial Millionaire Podcast and I am your host, Stephen Cohen. This podcast is focused on bringing some of the wisest minds from across the globe to discuss concepts, strategies, and ideals that have led them to be top performers in their respective industries and their lives. This show is for the millennials and millennials at heart to transcend their mindset, their health, and their income to the next level. We are so excited to have you on this journey with us. Welcome to the show. What is up, millennial millionaires? Welcome back to another episode. Today, we have another super special guest, uh, my man, Tanner Chidester. Tanner is the founder and CEO of Elite CEOs. He's generated over $70 million in the online coaching world. He's been featured on shows like Alex Hermozzi and Ryan Pineda in Business Insider and CNBC. He Flew all the, all the way out here from Miami to uh, do a little networking. And it's been awesome to connect with you. So Tanner, welcome to the show, dude. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. How was uh? You know, we were talking a little bit before the show, Vegas, Miami. How how are you liking it out here? You
1: no, know, I it's the only thing against Vegas is just the view, man. It's like it's hard to beat the view of Miami. But I will say. I think business wise, it's a good move because it's closer to things. It's very close to people. Miami. If you're out in Miami, there's, I mean, there's nothing. I mean, some people go to Atlanta, but it's really New York, Miami, Vegas, and I feel like Vegas is close to like Phoenix and LA. So, but I like it here. I mean, there's a lot of fun stuff. The resorts. I mean, I think you could just literally make a vacation one week per in each resort. So it's a fun
0: spot. There's so much to do, man. It's it's funny. the the one place that I would move if I left from Vegas would be Miami. I feel <laughs> yeah. like it has a similar lifestyle, yeah, similar amenities, similar energy for young hustlers, entrepreneurs that are trying to go out there and get it. Yeah. And uh, most importantly, no state tax.
1: So, uh, so uh, I mean, that's like the number one rule. I feel like wherever you live, so Vegas has it too, though. Hundred percent, man. Yeah, Nevada.
0: Uh, Tanner, give give the audience a little background about who you are, what you're about. We'll get into it, man. Yeah.
1: So, like I was telling you earlier, grew up in a very conservative household. I have four sisters, two brothers. I'm the third in the pecking order, so I have two older sisters, and then I'm the first boy. Uh, a lot of tea parties and dress-up. It was <laughs> not, you know, it's probably child abuse. Someone should have probably called child social services, but, you know, I think growing up with that, I just didn't have an older brother, and so what happened is as I was going through school, I got picked on a lot. Uh, once I realized they were picking on me, that was pretty traumatic, I think, Uh, I thought, I don't know. I don't know what I thought, but I know around sixth grade, I realized that they were making fun of me and that really hurt. So I went home and I started to go to the gym before school. So I told my mom, I said, hey, uh, my sisters would go to Bible study. They take me in the gym and I start working out. And what was cool about that, and I think it was a huge pivotal point in my life is I stuck with it for three months and then I started, you know, my muscles started growing. I was the only kid at school lifting because I'm 12. Yeah. And I remember just the amount of respect I got. And I was like, wow, so if I do hard things, good things will happen. And that really worked into sports and dating and grades and all those types of things. So mm. pretty much from 12 to 22, all I cared about was playing in the NFL. So the way I attacked business now, it was two workouts a day. I had NFL coaches. I had NFL running backs uh, who I paid money to. I actually worked with the USA weightlifting Olympic coach. A lot of stuff like that and at 22 that ended i had a bunch of injuries i also don't think i was good enough they're just i mean i played with some first round draft picks and it's just the level of talent is it's a whole nother level and then i finally had to decide what i wanted to do and so i was doing engineering i did it because it was gonna make you know six figures out of school it was all about the money and i remember my mentor just said dude you should drop out and start an online fitness company i was like i don't i don't know anything about business i remember at the time i would go to a subway i had no idea how a subway made money like i couldn't even How do they get the ingredients? Where do they find the people? I I just had no clue about business. So he convinces me to drop out. Uh, My girlfriend at the time dropped me. Uh, Her mom was not a fan of it. My family wasn't a fan. I I actually thought it was a bad idea. And so for the next couple years, I'm doing door-to-door sales. I was selling security for a company called Alder. We were talking about that in Utah. I was also doing a server. And then I would work the rest of the day on my business. And I gained no traction. So after about two years, I'm calling my dad called my mentor saying you know maybe I should go back to school maybe I should just give this thing up and because I'm 25 now and I don't know at 25 it really was I just started feeling like man I really got to figure this stuff out and I remember seeing an ad on Facebook that was talking about how to build your online fitness company and so I click on it and I go through it and it's a five thousand dollar program I got maybe two grand to my name I put 3k on a credit card and things started to take off. So I make 10 k in a week. And the biggest difference was just they said to raise my price. And so I was selling a $47 program. I raised it to $1,500. Did 10 k in a week. Quit my job, the door-to-door job. Like, immediately quit. Went home. And I told my parents and said, hey, like, let me stay here. I'll pay you a little bit of rent. The business is going to take off. I did a million bucks that year. <clears throat> Excuse me. I did a million bucks that year. And I got some recognition from ClickFunnels, right? So Russell Brunson's company. And because of that, I think because it was a, not a business coaching business, it was a fitness company, mm. all these trainers started cycling in. And that next year I did over 10 million. That was a massive jump, like 10X the business literally. And then the year after that, because I'd done so well, I got more recognition and then it kind of became, I don't wanna say general, but we have you know, 50% trainers, like 50% like general, which is not trainers. And uh, every year just kept climbing. And then we peaked around, you know, a little over 20 million a year. And I've been, you know, doing this six years. And then I'm just barely transitioning to like my next thing, the bigger opportunity. But that was a long story long. So there you go. <laughs> it all
0: started with you getting bullied, man. I yeah. want to double click on that real quick. How sure. much do you think of as people mature and get older and become successful or not become successful stems from some of the things that occurred from an early age?
1: Oh, I think 100%. Um, the I resented my parents a lot growing up because they were very religious, very conservative. And some of the stuff they did, I, I, I mean, I couldn't even tell you why. Like, it it was just made no sense to me. But the two things that really helped me was especially the bowling. And I remember that because when I started excelling in sports and weightlifting and things like that, I always remember when someone would like try to make fun of me I'm like, yeah, but I'm bigger than you. Yeah. I'm better at sports than you. And you know, like I have better grades than you. It really kind of gave me that confidence to kind of fight back. And then my dad just, my dad was a teacher. So it's seven kids growing up on a teacher salary. I mean, you know what teachers make. And my dad was just like, the world doesn't owe you anything. Got to go out and get whatever you want. My dad would do a bunch of part-time jobs, like power washing, mowing lawns to like help us make enough money because you know, it's expensive. And, that really those two things really shaped me growing up and like building a business because when things got hard I couldn't go to my parents and a thing I see a lot of times now and you know I want to make sure this doesn't happen if I have kids but these kids who grew up in affluent homes man it's a huge crutch because this because every time things get hard they go back to their parents when my parents are like yeah we love you but if you want to play football like you got to get a scholarship you want to go to college you got to pay for it you want a car you got to go get it and that's really helped me in hard times because I I had no way out There was no plan b and that in hindsight I hated it but when I was now that I'm like in the future it's it was a massive blessing I'm super grateful for it
0: yeah well said I think I saw a study where it's either if you come from a super humble background or if you come from an affluent background, chances are you have a higher statistical chance of becoming successful versus someone that's stuck in the middle. Because when you're exposed to some type of affluent background, I do agree with you, it's easy to fall back, but chances are you're probably going to unconsciously maybe pick up some things from your family, your parents, have some type of connections, do something. And same thing, if you come from humble beginnings, same with me. My mom was a teacher. My dad was a security guard. So growing up, money was always painful. So naturally, I always wanted to make money because I needed to figure it out because I couldn't depend on them to financially support me. I feel like it's that middle class that sometimes is a little dangerous because Mm -hmm. you're not in pain enough to go figure out how to go create success, be resourceful, go out there and take risks. But you also don't have the guidance from your parents or some type of example Mm -hmm. to go out there and create it yourself. So the middle, I think, is a very scary place to be. But ultimately, I agree with you. I think your past can dictate your future if you allow yourself to learn the lessons and realize, man, the way I am today is because of some of the things that I learned or was taught or was bullied or was imprinted in me from an early age. And if they're not super conducive, if they're not good thoughts, then it's like change them. Mm -hmm. But most people don't have that self-awareness.
1: Yeah, most people want to blame people for their problems, which is the entire problem, right? Um, it, it, man, it happens all the time. In, in fact, there there's family members I love uh, greatly, and they'll go to doctors, you know, and they'll go in, and the doctor will make some type of diagnosis. And sometimes I even think, whether it's true or not, when that becomes their crutch, it's tough because no matter what happens— that's what they fall back on. And they say, oh, well, you know, the doctor says I have this and the doctor says I have that. I'm I'm thinking, man, every time something gets hard, that's what you go to, right? Or you're saying, oh, well, my parents did this, my parents did that. I think one of the most freeing things for me was finally just stop blaming my parents and stop blaming other people. Not even if it's true, it's like, it's irrelevant. It just is not a very helpful thought to continually blame other people for where you are and not where you want to be. So I would 100% agree with that. And, and I like the point you made about the middle class because, yeah, I didn't think of it that way. Like, it's if you're not on one end of the spectrum, it could be very tough. Yeah. Well said,
0: man. So, obviously, you're crushing it in the online business space. What initially attracted you to that? Because I feel like everyone nowadays wants to do something online. Everyone's either a solopreneur, an entrepreneur, a dropshipper, a, a trader, an investor, a You know, whatever, right? Online Amazon businesses. I feel like now the online space is so cool, but when you started, it may have not been the case. (laughs) What initially attracted it, attracted you to it, and what tips can you give to people starting an online business?
1: Yeah, there was nothing that attracted me to it. (laughs) Uh, It was my mentor. It was just my mentor. He said, "This is what I know. I'll show you what to do if you want to drop out of school." And he really only was helping me. I, I mean, he cared about me, but. The deal was, you know, I grew up in that conservative household and I stopped going to church. He says, look, if you go back to church, he's like, I'll kind of help you. And that's kind of how that relationship started. Um, And I do feel guilty because I I didn't stick with my end of the bargain. (laughs) So he ended up just doing this one-sided thing. But yeah, he just said, hey, look, I I know this online game. I'll teach you what I know, do fitness. And I just didn't know any better. And no one in my family's ever had a business, like you said. So it's kind of funny because I feel... I feel I was in a middle-class family, but because we had so many kids, it kind of made it, I guess, a little less than because parents who have two kids make what my dad made was fine, but we had seven. Sure. Right? D- and so dilutes
0: the experience per kid.
1: Right. So there was nothing necessarily that attracted me to it, but that's why I got into it. And then I would just say advice for people who are trying to start an online business. There's a lot of things, but I would say the biggest mistake that most make is they try to recreate the box and so typically you want to do something in health wealth or relationships the biggest issues I typically see when someone is like well I want to do what Tony Robbins does and I just say well Tony Robbins has a massive brand and you do not it's like Kim Kardashian she could cut off you know her toenails and put it in a bag and take dog poop probably and smear it and Mm -hmm. sell it like she literally could which is I I mean it's funny but she could And I think people forget that so stick with one of those Um, there's a lot more I could delve into if you want me to but it's just making sure you pick something that everyone wants more in those categories there's not one person i met who's like oh i don't want to be healthier i don't want to be wealthier i don't want to have better relationships i mean we all do so stick in that
0: yeah let's talk about that a little bit because i agree i think you know it's easy once you create success or you have some type of uh reputation or brand to go out there and monetize but for someone like yourself when you started or probably a lot of people listening that are looking to get into the space or looking to create um, a business or sell a product or line or some type of e-commerce when no one knows who you are very challenging. You have to use different tactics and strategies and skills. What advice would you give to those people that have no brand, they have no reputation, but they're looking to get their product, their company, their uh, inventory off the ground and go start?
1: I'll just say what I did. And all I did, the biggest change I made was I started messaging people on my Instagram. So I just started there. I was doing fitness at the time, I was doing modeling, so I looked the part, I mean, that did help. I definitely looked the part, and I think you should. I mean, if you're selling fitness, you should look the part. So I had all, I had some followers, um, not a ton, but I had a couple, and I just started messaging them. And I said, hey, thanks for following me, you know, what's your fitness goals? And I would work them through the process, and i just basically book a phone call, and I would start closing people. And once I started closing enough people, I realized, okay, this is not scalable, like I can't just message people all day forever, I gotta start running some type of paid traffic. And I started just dumping all my money into ads and it just blew up. So easier said than done. I'm happy to go into like any particulars you want, but it's really that simple. In fact, when it did work for me, I was upset because I thought the way you got rich was, you know, I looked up to guys like Bradley Martin and Christian Guzman and Steve Cook. That's who I looked up to as a young like fitness guy. And I thought you just put a link in your bio and then you got super famous and you'd be rich. And a lot of those guys, the irony is they don't make a lot of money. Not those guys in particular, but there's a lot of you know big name people mm-hmm. who have no idea how to monetize their audience. And so when I finally just was told, hey, look, you're selling a $47 program. It's not worth my time to get on a phone call. I can't drive enough traffic because I don't have a big following. And so the benefit was when I started messaging people and got them on a call, I could charge higher prices. I made you know three times what I would make in a month as a server in a, like a day. And then I could put that money into ads. And that's really how I grew my company. It's not any more complex than that. It's just the most people they don't have the skills. Like mm. they just don't have the skills.
0: Yeah. What what was that shift to really understand, hey, I need to start valuing myself at a higher level to start stop selling small ticket items and start, you know, selling selling high ticket <laughs> items. Cause I feel like not just in the online space, but in any type of industry, like I think of my industry in sales, and I think it's very similar. It's like until you demand more out of yourself, until you believe that you can go accomplish more, you're not going to start acting as is and you're not going to acquire those higher clients or those higher uh, ticket items. What was that shift for you to make you actually believe that you're worth the new high ticket item price that you're selling?
1: I wish I could give you a detailed answer in depth answer but the truth was i was so sick and tired of being poor mm. that i was literally willing to do anything it took and so it was extremely dark energy where i said if i want to make 10k a month and i have to sell a 1500 program then i'm gonna f do it and that's all it really was and what was crazy is i didn't think anyone would buy it i think that was the hardest thing is when someone first told me i said i've never even knew what high ticket was i didn't even know." I, I couldn't fathom. I said, you, no one is going to pay me $1,500 for a fitness program. they like, yeah, they will. I was like, dude, there's no way. Like, I'm selling a $47 program. But what people don't realize is that the market, most people are doing that. So like 80 to 90% of the market is selling these low-priced products and so they're commoditizing themselves out. But I, once I, competition at the bottom. Right. And so once I realized, I said, oh, so I only have to sell three people out of 100. It totally changed the game for me. And so, It really just started, I'll be honest, I spent two years just giving up everything, everything, and getting no results, and that is the most, that's the worst feeling in the world. There's one thing to give up everything and get results, and then there's another thing to have, you know, I was living in a $1,000 a month apartment, so picture that. I had a shitty car, super old. I didn't feel comfortable dating girls because, oh, what do you do? Oh, you know, I'm a server, and I'm trying to build a business, and it's failing, Yeah. so I was just so desperate to get out of my situation that I said, you know what, I'll do whatever they say. And when it worked, I was actually upset. I remember I, I made 10K and that was three times what I was making in a month, in a week. So I made three times what I make in a month, in a week. And I remember going, man, you gotta be effing kidding me. That's all I had to do is raise my price and get on a phone call. And because I just finished door-to-door sales, I was like, and they want what I'm selling? It it just I couldn't believe it was that simple. Instead, I was trying to do all these fancy things with low-priced products. And, and the problem with low-priced products, typically for beginners, is you don't have a big enough audience. And so they see a guy like Mr. Beast, like, oh, Mr. Beast is good. It's like, dude, Mr. Beast gets 800 trillion impressions, right? So when you don't have that, the only way to really price your way out of it is you have to make enough money per customer so you can spend money on advertising. And that took me years to understand. I don't know why. It's so simple now. But at the time, that just it just never clicked for me.
0: Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense, man. What do you feel like is more important, Tanner? Marketing or sales?
1: Oh, yeah. Great question. I'd say sales, only because I literally cold DM'd my way to $50,000 a month. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wasn't even marketing. I was just literally reaching out to people, and I just knew it was a numbers game. It was like door to door. 100 messages, 30 reply, 5 book a call, I'll close 2 or 3. And so... Marketing is super important. I mean, they're very hand-in-hand, marketing and sales. But if you can simply just have enough conversations with people, you'll get enough sales. Now, obviously, door-to-door, for example, or like putting out flyers is super inefficient, but it does work. So really, all marketing is supposed to do is make things a little bit more efficient, in my opinion. But I cold DM my way to $50,000 a a month. And, I mean, yeah, my fingers did hurt. I think I was getting arthritis in in my knuckles at one point. But again, I was willing to do whatever it took. I didn't care, and if so, I just didn't believe that was possible. Once I started seeing, wow, it's it's just this numbers game, and it's just having the right process. It, I mean, it changed everything for me.
0: Yeah, no, I think the the story is super powerful because, like you said, you know, you went two years of working this part time thing with no results, giving it all. And then you change your product up and then good things happen. You started making a lot of money. I think what most people don't realize is, is the reason that you're able to hit that level of success and start closing these high ticket items was because of the two years that you put in, you know, it's kind of like the pinata effect Ed my talks about this, you know, there's kids at a birthday party, they all line up, you know, 5 kids go, 6 kids go, and then little tiny Tom comes with, you know, 4-year-old <laughs> and hits it with a little little whack and the whole piñata opens and everyone hits yeah. the candy. Was it little Tom? No, it was the compound effect of all that work that that didn't see and I feel like so many people they don't have enough foresight to go through the ups and downs. I really like what you said. You were working your job full-time to pay the bills, but you were working on your business to eventually pay the fortune until yeah. you didn't have to work a job anymore and now you're doing this as your full-time fortune.
1: Yeah, and Man, I'm telling you, the day I went full-time on my business, I couldn't believe how much more energy I had to put into it. I I tell people all the time, if you go part-time, move very fast. Because the hardest thing, I think the reason I was so discouraged and I was going to quit is you go to this full-time job. And basically what I would do is I would get up around like 5 a.m., I go to the gym, and then uh, the place I would serve at would open around like 8 so I'd go eight to two or eight to three, maybe eight to four, go home, take an hour off, and I'd work five to 10 and do it all over. So my business would always get my worst effort. You know, I was always tired. I was drained. And as soon as I had enough money to go full time, I was like, wow, I mean, this is easy to run a business. I made mean, I up all my energy in the morning. So anyone who I think a lot of people, that's the hardest thing is it's they just aren't willing to persist. Right. And so two years doesn't sound that long when people hear this podcast, Like, oh, two years is nothing like man you have no idea what two years feels like when it's 12 hour days six days a week and it's just a living hell and i had nobody i didn't know i didn't know about click funnels i didn't really know about like any network i had no one to lean on i'm a first generation entrepreneur in my family i don't even know anyone in my family who has a business like so it was just very lonely it was very tough but I think most people, it's this—it's the basic stuff. If you just don't quit, you'll win. And I think a lot of people, they quit very too soon. Not too soon, but they just don't want to go through it because it's terrible. And the reason is you're putting all this time and effort and you're getting nothing out of it. And I think that's just so frustrating to to put in hours and hours and then people will make a comment, right? Yeah, how's your business going? Uh, and they know it's not going well. And And just I think the only way I was able to push through that, I almost quit about five times in two years. I'm just so lucky I had that mentor. Cause I call him every time I was about to quit. I call him like, what do you think? He's like, dude, like, just keep going. He's like, you'll figure it out. And for whatever reason I kept going and eventually I did. And I mean, the difference in my life would be dramatic. I'd probably be, I don't know, $69.4 million poor or something <laughs> like, you know, just the amount of money I made. So anyways, yeah. Um,
0: no, the power of a support system you know I, I think one of the number one questions I get when I talk to people whether it's in my business or just whatever getting advice to people it's you know how do you find a mentor how do you find a mentor you know I always hear all the time you need to get a mentor you need to get a mentor so I'll ask you, Tanner, how do you find a mentor? The average person out there looking to go create success and wealth and they're sick and tired of being sick and tired, but they don't have any guidance. They don't have that rich uncle. They don't have uh, that family member who's made it big. What advice would you give the people to go attract the mentor into their life?
1: Yeah. So I looked out in the fact that the mentor I had was a friend of the family, right? And, you know, because he's religious, my dad's religious, I think they kind of were like, hey, Tanner's lost his way. And so that did help. But if I didn't have that, I think my biggest regret was not hiring someone sooner. And the reason I didn't fully transparent is two things. One, I didn't have a lot of money. So I thought, well, you know, I, I had a poor man's mindset. Well, I don't have the money, so I, I just can't do it. That's just how it is, right? Versus being resourceful. And then two was I just didn't, I never really had needed help. Like I was a top D1 athlete. I'd had straight A's in high school. I'd done really well in dating. I was into modeling. Like I felt like everything I tried, I always figured it out. So for most people listening, the fastest and shortest way to where you want to go is you just find someone who's doing what you want to do and you just pay them and you just bite the bullet and you get the money and you figure it out and you just do it. And it's painful, but I'll tell you what, you pay attention a lot more when you pay for it. Free stuff is really not good because when you're not paying for it, you just don't pay as much attention. It, it's like, I have a coach right now, I paid him 200 Gs for the year and I get two hour session bi-weekly. And when I go, I do not say a word the whole time. I mean, unless he asked me something, I just sit there the entire time and I just listen because I'm not there to talk like I'm there to learn and I pay attention because I've paid a lot of money. It's like, you know, if you break it down, it's probably like 10K a session or something, maybe a little more. Um, So I wish there was a better answer. But I think nine times out of 10, the hard part is if you're not willing to pay, then you have to sit through the bullshit. And because you don't know what you don't know, you can't. So people go, oh, you just learned that on YouTube. Can you, I mean, maybe if you watch 10 or 20 videos and then you decipher what's not true. But if I go on Google right now and type in what's the best diet for fat loss, there's 20 articles that have a different diet. Mm-hmm. So how do you really know which diet is the right one? And so for me, I finally, once I paid someone, it it really hurt because the amount of success I had after that was so dramatic that I thought, man, if I had just started this two years sooner, I probably would have added another 20 million to my net worth. Like seriously, like- because it just happened so fast. And things started to change when I paid for it. And sadly, I didn't pay for it until I was in so much pain. I said, I was willing to be homeless. And and I I don't know, maybe some people have to get to that point.
0: Yeah, no, I really like what you said. How much do you think of investing in yourself? Because that's what we're talking about, right? The average person's not gonna go spend 200K in a year. But I think yeah. just investing in yourself, obviously you're gonna get, the value, you're gonna get the content, you're gonna get the Rolodex and access to the network of the people that you're hiring. But how much of that do you believe is just your own identity or your own belief level increasing because you're taking the action that you know you should be doing in order to get to the next level?
1: Yeah. Um, For me, I I, I think for me what always helped me is when I knew I didn't know what I needed to know, but someone else was doing it. I, I just had the urge to go pay money and like figure it out. I don't. It wasn't any more complex than that. In fact, I remember there was a three month window where I paid three programs that were three months long, 10K a piece, because after 30 days of going as hard as I could, I said, oh, they don't know, or they can't help me. Like I very, and and I I would do everything, you know, a thousand percent, like anything they said to do, I do it 10X. I don't think that's normal. Um, I think as I've gotten older, I've realized I'm a little bit weird. I think you have to be. Yeah, and it makes sense. For most entrepreneurs, I think it does make sense. And I think I'm a little weird in that fact where – because I just view it as it's not a big deal. If my goal is to make multi-millions of dollars or, you know, become a billionaire, it would make sense. You would have to do things that most people won't do. And so every time I come up to a choice where I'm trying to decide, you know, what do I need to do or is this the right move – I kind of remind myself that to have an extraordinary life, you must do difficult things. And so that's kind of the price of a mission. And I think a lot of people aren't willing to pay it.
0: Mm, 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 mm. I love that, man. Let's talk a little bit about networking. You know, you seem like a really good networker. You're out here. You've been on two, three, four, five podcasts. You're a couple days here. Uh, What tips do you have in networking? What's the value in it? And how important is it in order to scale businesses online or offline?
1: I think for most people, they don't need to network. I mean, I know people like to hear that word, but, you know, for example, if I go to the ClickFunnels event and there's 800 people there, I think there's like 5,000 people there. I don't know. Like, like what are you going to get out of that as a beginner? I don't know. That might be unpopular to say, but the the way I built my network is I became someone worth knowing. Mm. Um few years ago, you'll laugh at this now, but a few years ago, Alex Hermosi approached me and wanted to talk. And I was like, nah, I'm good, man. Like, and I thought he wanted something from me, which is very ironic now. Right. And, um, we finally, a couple of years later, got put in a text thread and he's like, texted me privately after. I was like, oh man, like I kind of have to meet him now. Cause if I don't, he's going to think I'm a dick. And he got on and like, he didn't want anything out of it. But I think he wanted to know who I was and connect to me because he'd heard about me and he'd seen what I was doing, etc. So I think there's benefit, you know, outside of that, honestly, this has been what I've seen works the best is like podcasting, because what happens is it's mutually beneficial, right? I'm not just, hey man, let's meet up, let's have lunch. And you're like, oh gosh, what is this guy gonna ask me? It's where you're both creating content. You can both have a very genuine conversation. But I think for most people, it's just focus on becoming someone you wanna be. And as you do that, the opportunities will 100% come your way versus if you go in a room and there's nothing you've really done that people admire, I, I feel like the only, I don't know, like I just don't think that's a great way to build rapport because I, if I see someone like that, I'm, I just don't, I don't admire you from that standpoint, so I don't really know how much I really want to connect, but the people I really want to connect to, I look at them as, wow, look what they've built, look what they've done, so I want to connect. Um, so for me, I just try to continue to like become the person that someone else would admire and kind of go from there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love that, man. Attraction. You know, I think it's the same thing with anything, whether it's networking, girls, door to door sales, online businesses, like you want to become the hunted, not the hunter. So many people out there, they're trying to go fake their way to success or trying to act like they're someone they're not, where there's to some degree you want to act as is. But ultimately it's like, just focus on becoming the most valuable person that you can and naturally you'll attract like-minded people and it'll be genuine, you know? I'm sure you've had conversations with people, whether they're pitching you, you're pitching them, or just at networking events where you're like, this dude's saying everything right, but for some reason <laughs> I have this weird feeling. Like it, it's just not organic. There's there's not like that normal Intimate conversation. I think it's because they're trying they're not in integrity because they're trying to get something out of you or vice versa Versus becoming the best version of themselves yeah. and naturally it'll be an organic uh,
1: Context, you know you saying that just made me think of something so I get per day. I want to say maybe 20 DMS that say Tanner, can I be a video editor for you or can I be a setter for you mm-hmm. and I don't mind the hustle. Like I, I never talk down to any of those guys who do that because I get where it's coming from. It's coming from a good place. But I'm thinking, you know, dude, if you really want to be an editor for me, why don't you just take my footage and edit it and then send me the footage? And then if it's good, I'll probably hire you, right? Or if you're a setter or closer, it's like, why don't you send me like some calls you've taken and I'll listen? Like it, it's just, it's like give, give, make it easy for that person, right? Like if I come to you and say, hey, you know, what could I do for you? You literally have to sit there and think, hmm, what can Tanner do for me, which takes time off, out of your plate and out of your life. And then you have to try to be creative. Like I should do the research and I should do the work and just do it for you. And then you're like, wow, like that's kind of what's impressed me. I had this guy um, recently approach me and he was uh, he was telling me, he's like, hey dude, look like, you know, I think you do really good on some podcasts. Like, let me put some feelers out there. He starts doing all this stuff completely free. I was like, oh, okay, now you got my attention, right? Because he just started doing it. And so I think that's the only other way to really network and connect is if you're not going to go the route of trying to become someone that people admire, then it's like, you got to figure out what they need and just do it without asking. And and it's got to be without an ask because if you come in with the ask, that's a, the first thing I look for. It's like, well, what do you want out of this, right? But if you just come in and you give and give and give, eventually you will be able to have the ask and it can be a very large ask.
0: Well said. Gary Vee, right? Jab, 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 right hook. Yeah, and for for what
1: I've heard, Gary V is like legit at that. Like from what I've heard, the people close to him say, everyone owes him a favor. And it's because he just figures out what people need and then he just does it.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. Law of reciprocation. So we talked a little bit about skills before in online marketing. Uh, I'm a firm believer in skills, right? Skills pay the bills. Uh, If you want to be a better door knocker, great, get better at closing, get better at handling objections, get better at self-management, Uh, more resilient, right? Like, I think the cool thing that people underestimate is when you look at success or you look at entrepreneurship, it's so much different than looking at, like, a professional athlete, right? I know that was a route that you wanted to take because it's like when you look at some of these people, UFC fighters, professional athletes, like these all-stars, celebrities, like, these guys are super talented. Mm -hmm. Therefore... Yes, they work hard. Yes, they do all these things. But a lot of these guys are naturally gifted. Therefore, they're able to get these extraordinary results. The cool thing I love about business, specifically sales, marketing, entrepreneurship, is it's a skill set, just like dribbling a basketball. If you go dribble a basketball and shoot enough free throws, eventually you're going to get good at free throws. You don't start being good at free throws. So skills are something that is something that your neuroplasticity can learn and you can become better. And as you become better, you make more money. As you make more money, you become more valuable. And then it's a good feedback loop. What skills would you say in the 21st century, whether it's online or offline, do people need to acquire in order to thrive in their specific
1: industries? Man, That's a good one. Door-to-door sales was the best thing that ever happened to me. It was the hardest. I think it was harder than building a multi-figure company. Mm. It was so hard. Go there. Oh, man. Um, I'll tell you about a particular day. So I go sell. I'm selling security. So I sell this uh, lady down the street. I don't remember her name, but I go to her neighbor. And, you know, when I go on the doors, I'm like, yeah, I just, you know, sold your neighbor down the street, da, da, da. And I don't know what was going on with this guy. But as soon as I said, hey, you know, let's say Mrs. Smith. I'm like, hey, Mrs. Smith, you know, said you're he, – he freaks out. He goes, she sent you over here. What? The guy pulls out a knife, and he starts walking towards me. And I'm like moving. I'm like, dude, okay, like I'm over this cell already. I leave. I go all the way out in the street. And somehow I calm him down, and then he invites me in, and I'm so desperate for this, I'm like, "Forget it, I'll go." So I go back in the house. <laughs> I sell this guy on like a switchy. So I think at the time he's like with Vivint or something. Yeah. For anyone's insecurity, they'll know. But I switch him to Alder, and then the tech shows up, and he won't let the tech in. And so I'm like, the deal. Usually when that happens, that means the deal's not going in. I'm not going to get paid. So then the next day rolls by. I'm super pissed. I've spent two or three hours on this guy. I call him. Uh, no, he calls me, and he's cussing me out. I don't know why he's cussing me out, so I'm just like, you don't know, forget it. And then somehow a miracle happens, and the tech gets in the house and puts in the installation. And that was, like, pretty much most of my days. Like, something of that nature, where either I was getting a gun pulled on me, a knife, cops were pulled on me. Um, I would chafe, like, bad, like, because it was so hot. So I just remember I'd have, like, permanent- Is this Texas. No, this was Alabama, man. Oh. So I had like permanent marks on my like thighs yeah. for the whole summer. But I I remember that was mentally the hardest thing I think I've ever done because you're on the doors. Like I was on the doors for about eight hours a day. So we knocked from about 12 to eight, two hours to area typically, two hours back. So it was 12 hours a day all the way around. And then you do it six days a week. I did it for nine months. Summer program? Oh, wow. More I than did for program. nine months. So when I was done, Man, I was done. Like I was so mentally drained. But when I got into the online space, it was a joke because they wanted what I was selling. I was so used to people. I mean, door to door, there's 20 objections. I mean, it's very difficult. When, when you're in the online world or even in business in general, if they want what you're selling, there's very few objections. And it's typically price, spouse, time, or it's belief. That's it. And so four versus you know 25 was a lot easier. But I recommend anyone, like anyone who's listening, to this even people who've been in my programs, I say if you really want to get good at sales, like you want to be a master, go do door to door, and it will. And not only that, but just it takes about two months to even get used to knocking on the doors. I remember just, you know, it's per it's quiet. There's no one around, and you just knock on someone's door, and you see that figure walking towards you. It doesn't sound that in the tummy. man. It doesn't sound that scary listening to it, but that takes about two months to get over. Yeah, I mean, and then you know, you you lose all brain, train of thought, excuse me, when they open the door and you sound like a complete moron for weeks on end. So, uh, but that definitely changed my life. I mean, that was probably one of the most significant times in my life. And at the time I had no idea, right? I had no idea it was going to bless me the way it did, but that's why I'm so good at sales. Because once you've done that, it's, I mean, a pre-qualified lead, it's a joke. They They want what I'm buying. So, I'm really glad you said
0: that. So, you know, I've been in the door-to-door space for going on nine years. It's where I made all my money where yeah. my current business is. And I even tell people this. I'm like, I don't care if you're going to be in solar for a year, two years, if you want to make this your long-term career, if it's just a vehicle to make some money, invest in real estate, start flipping, whatever. The skill set you learn in direct sales, whether it's door-to-door, specifically door-to-door, because that's the rawest most form of selling that you can do, I think. yeah, The resiliency, being able to handle objections, just the belief that it takes in order to go sell a stranger and interrupt them from whatever they were previously doing and being able to reframe them and handle your own emotions and hold yourself accountable those skills are indefinite where you can take that to really any industry i believe and and dominate so uh, i'm glad you you reinforce that
1: well it's door-to-door door-to-door is so tough and like to what you said i think one of the issues with the door-to-door companies that drives me nuts is they sell you on these visions of grandeur. You know They're like, oh, you're gonna make all this money. And what they really should sell on is what you just said, where they say, listen, we know you're not gonna do this forever, but if you come in here and you bust your A, this is gonna help you do X, Y, Z, or ABC. And if they had just told me that, that's what ended up happening. But a lot of the guys who try to recruit, I tell them like, you guys are selling it completely wrong. You guys need to sell it as it's a vehicle for them to get to where they wanna go, not as the vehicle for the rest of their life. And honestly, if I ever started like a door-to-door company, I would completely change the recruiting and how they do that because that's why they struggle uh, with drop-off because the guy, they tell the guys it's easy. They're like, oh, you're gonna make all this money. And you get out there, it's difficult and it's not easy and it's very hard. Um, but yeah, that's neither here nor there. It's just, I've talked to guys who do recruiting. And I'm like, you're never going to recruit well until you just tell them the truth. Like the truth is, it's very difficult and it, you know, they bring them out there and like half the team will fall off in the first couple of weeks because it's just way harder than they thought. Yeah, it's just setting the right
0: expectations. I think in any business, you know, if you're in sales or if you're leading a team or if you're mentoring people, it's setting the right expectations because however you frame the situation, just like in a home, you know, if you say, hey, this install is going to take you know, a month and it gets done in two months, they're going to be pissed. If you say, hey, this install is going get done in three months and it gets done in a month or two months, they're going to be happy. The install is the same, but it's the expectation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's that's super important. Uh, Tanner, let's talk a little bit about your, your coaching and consulting. So obviously sure. you made a you made a pivot, but well, you're still obviously doing your online business. What made you want to get into the coaching and consulting? And what's some things that you have learned
1: from it that maybe you didn't think you were originally going to learn when you started? Yeah, so again, uh, I didn't get into it because I thought, you know, I woke up one day and said, oh, I'm going to have a coaching business and consulting. In fact, I didn't want that in the first place. I hated business coaches because the first couple coaches I paid, I think, I was a little, I think I'm was think i a little more mature now, so I think I'm somewhere in the middle. But I felt like I was working. You know, I was working all the time, and I was DMing all the time. I literally was getting arthritis right here in my fingers and the knuckles because I was doing this so much, right? And the doctor's like, dude, what are you doing all day? Grinding. I was like, I'm grinding, bro. You know, yeah. like my fingers are moving 100 miles a minute. So I got the iPad. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so, with that being said, um, man, I lost my I lost my total train of thought where I was going with that. Um, what was the question you just asked? I apologize.
0: What did you learn from consulting
1: and perfect? What you I'm attract? so sorry. Okay, so um, when I started having success in the like online fitness business the reason that I started consulting is people started asking me, right? I just was successful. And so I was like, well, $200,000, you know, okay. I'm 25. I'll take it. That did well. And I kept doing it. So I really never had this plan to consult people. I just did super, super well in fitness. I had a ton of trainers come to me. I kept being successful. And then people were like, Hey, can you do this outside of fitness? That's how that all started. In terms of what I've learned from it, um, on my Facebook, there's somewhere, there's pin, it's like a pin post somewhere, I'll have to find it, but there's a conversation I had with 30 people who've sold between 40 million to like 4 billion, right? Most of them were billionaires. And what I was doing is I want to continue to grow and push myself, and so what I was looking for is similarities across the board. I was like, there's gotta be a similarity among these billionaires of like what they're doing to be successful, and I really narrowed it down to three things. The ones who bootstrap to a billion, always had an internet marketing background. I thought that was extremely fascinating because mm. internet marketing gets a very bad rap. The reason being is that some of it can be considered scammy, which I understand because anyone can do it, right? So when anyone can do it, you know, that's why doctors usually have to go to 12 years of school because okay. it weeds people out. But that was interesting. Number two is that they typically sold something high price, right? So high ticket, which makes sense. Like you're probably familiar with that with solar. And then the third thing was that it was easy to know fulfillment typically, right? So it didn't have to be zero fulfillment, but very easy fulfillment. Hmm. And like two examples I could give you off the top of my head is I talked to a guy named Steve Cohen, who sold Byte for, I want to say 1.2 or 3 billion something like a year. It was nuts, like one or two years. And it was just a competitor to Invisalign. They slapped the braces on, he lowered CAC, and that was pretty much it. And then the other one was a guy named uh, Justin Hartfield and he sold weed maps for i don't know some egregious amount and it was literally just yelp for weed and i was like man that is so interesting and so i think i think the other thing i'm super happy about is i've really learned at a high level how to build a company like operations sales coaching hiring training management leadership and so when you can take that into a bigger vehicle right i think like there's a lot of business there's a lot of founders. They are very creative. They build great products, but they have no idea how to build a team. I think it's a better attribute and skill to actually know how to build a team first because you can go and buy a business that has the idea or you can you know, figure the idea out later. But there's a lot of founders who don't actually know how to run companies. I have an ability to be a true COO. Like I can really run it A to Z. So those would be the biggest benefits I had from doing it. Um, I don't think it's... If you have ambitions of doing nine or 10 figures, like it won't be in coaching, right? That's my opinion, but for most people it's a great business because they can make pretty good income, they can travel, you know, that's like I'd say the average entrepreneur, but it's also the skills. The, there's just so many skills you'll learn in an internet marketing business that make it go versus that maybe you know a more traditional type business. I, I, I talk to people sometimes, I'm like, man, they just don't really know much about marketing. Um, which isn't everything, but it's very important. 100%. Yeah, what I'm thinking
0: about when you're talking about that is like leverage, you know? Have yeah. you have you heard of uh, uh, Naval Ravikant's for, <laughs> for leverage mm-hmm. content? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I think it's so powerful. Um, I didn't really know too much about leverage, obviously. You know, you can leverage money, all this stuff, and then when I saw this video, I was like, man, it made me really start thinking. For those that haven't seen the video, basically there's four types of leverage. There's labor, there's money, uh, there's media and then there's code. From what it sounds like you're doing all four of those. Most people, they only do the first lever., yeah. you know, in my position, right? I'm leveraging a sales team or a small business owners leveraging people. Most people understand the concept of leveraging labor. You go into money, right? Obviously, Warren Buffett says if you can't figure out a way to make money while you're sleeping, you're eventually gonna have to work until you die. Everyone knows they should be investing, having their money work harder. But it's those last two that I feel like most people get stuck on, at least in my space, um, that are, I think, get you to the eight, nine, 10 figure space. It's media, it's what we're doing here. This podcast could potentially be seen by hundreds of thousands of people for one hour, right? What you're doing with your online marketing and your online business, right? You make one course, You could potentially sell that compounded indefinitely Mm -hmm. and then you know finally obviously code technology which is uh i think the most powerful one when you look at most of the companies that run the planet it's all technology companies so i think if people took a little bit more time because i think most people's goal isn't to like drive a lambo or live in a really nice house it's freedom it's to get some more time back spend more time with their family take more vacations spend their life on their own time and not on someone else's time and their ability to be able to use some of these four levers, whether it's in your space, my space, I think will buy back their time.
1: Yeah. And I agree with what you just said. Media hits the box, right? So it's very little fulfillment. The pro the sales and the marketing is the product, Mm. right? So that's why it's so powerful tech. There's no fulfillment, right? The tech should do the same thing for every person, right? It's very easy to fulfill on. The only other way I've really seen people hit big numbers is private equity. But the private equity is like more of a safe road, right? It's more consistent. It's safer because you're kind of spreading your risk across the portfolio. But um, it takes a little longer, right? It's not like a home run. It's like doubles, triples, singles, stuff like that. Those are really the three ways I've seen, like you said. It's like media tech or a kind of private equity. Um, Maybe a product business, but it's more rare, I'd say, like for the billion. see some like big exits where it's like, you know, like maybe it's nine figures or something like that, but the billion is um, a little bit harder. But you know, even, even like one guy I spoke to, I forget the owner's name, but StockX right now is, I think it's at 3.8 billion valuation. Mm. The crazy part about some of the VC companies though, is (laughs) they make no profit. So I think StockX, he was saying something like, they run at like negative 2 million a month and they're valued at 3.8 billion. And I'm sitting here going, so why is your company valued at more than mine? But it's just the VC game is like, that's a whole nother, uh playground I've never like looked into, but it's very interesting. Explain VC. So venture capital. So you're taking on money for equity, right? And so most companies, especially a low ticket company, this is why I love high ticket because you can always bootstrap it. Low ticket, you can't. And so if you're selling a $50 product, Like Uber is a great example. Uber, I don't think still to this day, has ever made profit to this day. And the issue is because they have to have a million developers, a million backend people, and that's fine except for the fact you're only making what? Five, 10 bucks a ride? And so they need a quadrillion rides. Um, And they're also just growing at a faster clip. They keep dumping money into it. But typically that it's, it's just weird how those, that world works. Is they're basically valuing the company on the potential, which you'll never see in the consulting space, right? They're look at they my business go, well, Tanner, we think potentially they just go, well, here's what it does. Yep. So I'm not sure. I, I can't tell you the reasons why that happens. I just know that's how the game is played. And what they're typically doing, the venture capitals is they will invest in 10 companies and they're just looking for one to hit a home run. So I actually talked to, I forget the names right now because these interviews were a couple of months ago, but, the individual had a social media company i can't remember i think it was like clout or something like k l o u t something like okay. that anyways it was valued at like 250 million and he said hey you know he goes to the board and he says look i think it's more than 50% chance we go to zero he's like we're burning cash way too fast duh, duh, duh. and the board goes yeah if there's even a 1% chance that you can hit a billion then you got to keep going and the reason is they invest in 10 companies and they only care if one hits the mega number and they make all their money from that. The sad part though, cause I was thinking about going into VC and I was looking at it and what happens sadly, and you don't hear about this, is all those CEOs whose companies don't hit that, they're basically an employee for four, five, six, seven years. And when it goes to zero, they're left with pretty much nothing. Okay. So it's a massive risk. And um, you know, I guess it depends how you wanna play the game and how big you wanna go. But that's always why bootstrapping is so great because you just keep control. Um, and I'm not against VC. I'm sure there's like situations it does make sense. But yeah, it was very interesting conversations, man. Like just even learning about that world and like how they get investors and how the valuations work and the fact that they just are like, "Yep, we'll invest in ten. One's going to hit it big, and the other nine won't, and we're fine with that." So imagine being the CEO of that company, and you're essentially locked in as an employee. And you know your company's going to zero, and they're like, yeah, but you have to work for us because you're under contract. Man, that would just be terrible. It's crazy. Yeah, There's levels. There's levels to the game. 100%. Yeah. Tanner, what's your end
0: game, man? You have made a lot of money. Uh, you're doing really well. You have a lot of leverage, like we spoke about. A lot of freedom. You know what? Why? Why are you still doing what you're doing? What's your end game? Are you looking to invest all your money and set off into the sunset in Tahiti? Are you looking yeah. to reinvest it into a another business you're gonna launch? Like, what? What's the end game looking like?
1: Yeah. So I really struggled with this probably the last few years. I think my first initial goal in my company was to hit a million a month, and I did that in about 18 months. Revenue. Uh, yeah yeah in a single month yeah just revenue in a single month and you know running anywhere between 30 40 percent profit and I hit that and I spent probably six months you know well what's the meaning of life and you know <laughs> if this isn't for the money anymore why am I still doing it kind of the question you asked and uh one of my good friends Alex really helped me and he just got me thinking and I, I don't want to say I'm nihilistic but I think that thought process helps me more where it's more of does it really have to matter? And does there have to be a meaning? And and that helped me a lot more than kind of going down a rabbit hole that sometimes I feel like you can't really know the answer, right? Depending on some people turn to religion, some people turn to spirituality, and that's fine. And I'm not saying I'm against those at all. I'm just saying it's still hard to know, like for sure, for sure, for sure. Right. And so I took that approach and then kind of kept going for a while. And then again, kind of got my business to a very large point. I'm like, this was maybe like six months ago. And so I go, you know, what? I'm just going to step out, travel the world before I start my next project. And that's when I start all these interviews. And honestly, I didn't know it at the time. But when I got back and I started working, I realized, how, dude, I was so miserable that whole time. And I don't think I realized it. And the thing that I've learned kind of the hard way is that the more selfish you are, you can't be, you know, let me let me rephrase this. You can't be happy being selfish. The reason you're not happy when you buy cars and you're dating girls and all these things is because the only reason you're doing it is for you. And I don't know why it took me so long to understand that, but if you really wanna be happy, you have to be selfless. You have to help other people. And it's hard to do because by human nature, we're all selfish. That's why capitalism works because we just are naturally selfish. And we're constantly finding it. I think if you really audit yourself and you audit your thoughts, you'll notice how many times you you're just constantly thinking about you and you're not really thinking about the other person or, you know, let's say the Uber driver's late. You're like, Oh, what an idiot. Like I'll say those things in my head. I don't say it out loud. I definitely don't say it to them. And it's not even that big of a deal, but it's a lot of lack of empathy for other people. And so at least the conclusion I've come to is that I, I, I said earlier today, I feel bad for poor people because they go their whole lives thinking that making money will make them happy. And when I finally had all this money and all these things, I was like, man, this doesn't, this doesn't feel how I thought it would. But we still want those things because we're just selfish. But I think when you're actually selfless, you put others first, you genuinely try to help them. How can I serve? How can I help you? then what happens is people feel that they're more willing to go to bat for you. And then ironically, all the selfish things that you want, you will get. I think the paradox, though, is when when you get to that point, when you truly get to a point where you want to serve others more than be selfish, you'll be able to get all those things, but then you won't care anymore because you'll realize they really have no value. And I went through that phase where I had like a Lamborghini, like the SVJ. It's like valued at like one point some ridiculous number now it's over seven figures and all the penthouses. I was dating a bunch of girls and um I'm not saying those things are bad I just they don't ever last and they always get old because they just it's comes from a place of selfishness there's no benefit for you having a Lamborghini other than yourself I'm not saying that's bad but unless it actually helps other people I just generally don't think it can truly make you happy I, I just don't believe in that That's powerful, man. And, And I would agree with you. I think sometimes
0: you need to get to that level to experience, but... For me, I've always linked my financial and professional success to my personal growth. Uh So the more money I make, I believe, the better of a person I need to be. And in order for me to make more money, I have to be a better person. And I feel like on my journey of success, because as we all know, there's no destination, right? New levels, new Uh devils. Uh Once you make 10 million, I need a hundred million, you know, so on and so (laughs) forth. The the goalpost keeps being, you know, moved. But I think if you can link your daily progression or link your businesses to your point to something greater than yourself or to something that is external outside of you. Tony Robbins says that success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. And there's so many people that you and I both probably know who have mega success, but they're unfulfilled and their relationship sucks and they're not happy with their body. And I think it all comes down to them not linking their success or their drive or their pursuit of what they're trying to accomplish to something that is bigger to themselves aka to your point being selfish so well said man that was powerful
1: yeah and it's hard it's hard for people to get there because you almost have to go through it i don't know about you but i remember when people used to say that stuff about money i was like man you're just broke <laughs> you're just broke and sometimes it is true like sometimes they are broke but i think i just was like man that, that can't be true and that can't be right but when you finally get there you realize man it just it just isn't what you think it will be um and that was a huge realization for me and going back to your point I think I don't know if you ever like just sit there and you have like really deep thoughts but I think what's funny about life is at least for me lately it's kind of felt like this um I don't even know how to explain it but it almost feels like this game that you can win if you just have the right mindset. So going back to what you said before, when you're very ambitious, it's very easy to get caught up in the end result. But as you know, once you hit the end result, you just move the goalpost, right? And so it doesn't really matter. And so if you think about it, if you're constantly trying to help other people, and then you're constantly just trying to be the best you can be, you'll never really quote unquote win, but you'll also never lose. And you'll always kind of feel content. And But I just think sometimes we just lose sight of that. And we got we get so caught up in our own problems that we lose sight of I don't know, it's like it's like a game you can't actually lose unless you lose sight of that. Yeah. I, th- I think we're so
0: conditioned, especially like a you and me that live in cities with high energy and we're involved in businesses and media and podcasts and social media. Like that's the life, that's the game. It's such an external game. And the challenge when you focus on the external, we're supposed to be internal creatures, right? Mm-hmm. We're so easily influenced consciously or unconsciously by what we see, what we do, the people we're around, the association, the social media posts, the influencers that we want to be like. And the challenge is the only person that knows what's best for you is you. But you can't tune into that unless you get into solitude, unless you ask yourself the hard questions, unless you take some time in nature and maybe do some magical stuff in order to get attuned with yourself (laughs) to know, okay, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. This is what I need to link these businesses and processes to. And sometimes it's hard because we get caught up in the rat race. And even if you're successful, you could still be in the rat race on this you know, wheel until you take a step back and realize, man, I don't need to be over there. I'm here, therefore I can navigate through these challenges and difficult decisions and accomplishments in a different way so I don't sacrifice my presence in the pursuit of what I'm trying to accomplish.
1: Yeah. When you were saying magical stuff, you talk, you're not talking about mushrooms, are you? Are I think you, so. Dude, it's so funny you bring that up because I would say, I was just having this conversation. I think about a year ago, I think the issue, I don't want to say an issue, but a lot of times in the mindset community or like plant medicine, at least on the outside for me, I would just always, the people always like really pushing it. They just seem so wild to me, like so crazy and like so out there. But I got to a very kind of like desperate point in my life, in my personal life, when I was kind of taking that trip and like I was traveling the world and I was like, you know what? like I'm just gonna fucking try it. I'm just gonna try it. Because I have nothing to lose type deal. And when I did it, it was very interesting because uh, I'm a very logical guy and I'm very like, people, a lot of my friends who know me, they say Tanner's like not woo woo. So I yeah. use woo woo as like the kind of word of like, oh, they're very woo woo, you know? Sure. Uh, but I just remember when I went through that experience, it really brings up just thoughts that you can't possibly have without it it's very it was super interesting to just see it almost felt like i was talking to my older self um i know everyone has different experiences but for me i didn't have anything crazy i didn't like have any like psycho visions or something it just it just was crazy how much um deeper it feels like you can go with those thoughts and kind of like that introspection so for me personally it was a very positive experience i definitely have heard horror stories from people but i i loved it i absolutely loved it um, I don't know like how often I'm gonna do it or whatnot, but um, that was very like out of character for Tanner, if that makes sense. Yeah, sometimes you gotta break the
0: character to to figure out what's what's next, man. Exactly, Tanner, you're a stud, dude. As <laughs> we wrap, as we're wrapping up, I don't want to take too much of your time, and I know we got another one after this. Yeah. Um, my last question for you, man, if the Tanner today absolutely crushing it, you know, a little bit more wokey than he was before, (laughs) just, you know, helping and supporting all these different people. If the Tanner today could give the Tanner 15, 20 years ago, back in middle school and high school, who was bullied, low self-esteem, trying to figure out what he wants to do in his life advice, what would that advice be?
1: You know, something that I actually... I'm really, I I just feel so at peace with is that to this point in my life, I genuinely feel like I've done everything that I know how to do to the best of my ability to maximize my potential, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm not super religious, but in the Bible, it's got, you know, the, the one man with one talent and three and five, and maybe I'm the guy with one, but I genuinely feel like I've just maximized it like as much as I can. The really only advice I always go back to, the only kind of regret I have is those years where I was too egotistical to understand that I needed help. And I think because of that, since that time, I've spent millions and millions of dollars on my own personal development, because I've realized that the more you really learn, the more you know, you actually realize how much you don't know. Mm. You realize that, I mean, I was—I remember I was in engineering, I was like seven maths, I don't even remember what the math was called at this point, above pre-cal three, excuse me, and it was all letters. I'm like, there wasn't even a number. I'm like, it's supposed to be math, right? And so the only advice I would give myself and anyone listening who's a younger guy is just don't be afraid to invest in yourself because the the reality is there's a book. I'll leave it on this, but I don't know if you've read it. It's called Who Moved My Cheese? Yep. And I love that book because the whole book, I'm trying to figure out what is the point of this stupid book. It's taught, And for anyone who's listening, it's three mice. They live in this maze, and every day there's food that drops in. And then eventually the food stops dropping in. And they have this big fight about if they should leave or if they should stay. And two of the mice go, well, you know, we should stay, da-da-da. What if we leave? We might die. And one of the other mice is just looking at them and says, guys, if we don't leave, we will die. So he goes off and leaves. He goes through a little bit of hardship, but he finds food. And when he goes back... It doesn't say in the book if they died, but you can kind of probably guess that more than likely those mice did die. And I remember then at the end, they flipped it to humans and go, this is how human beings are and how silly it is when they won't take risk, when they won't like go off and you know try something new. And so for everyone who's scared who says, well, I don't have money and I can't do it. And you know, my parents this and that. When you die, all you're gonna think about, you're not gonna care if you failed. You're not gonna care if you even won. All you're gonna care is if you tried and i always remind myself that every time i'm trying to do something new it doesn't matter what the outcome is the only thing that matters is if you know that you actually did your best and if you do i remember when football ended college football and i was told that hey you tore your shoulder for the fourth time you're not going to be able to play anymore your cartilage is all jacked up you know even if i did your draft stock just drops dramatically you're like cattle you know and you're an animal for them and they're like yeah, you're you're beat up And I just remember walking away knowing that I did all the workouts. I did all the two-a-days. I hired all the coaches. I did all the training. And after all of that, I still wasn't good enough. And that was probably one of the best feelings I'd ever had in my life versus these other athletes I played with who – I mean, I played with a guy who was going to go 10th pick in the draft and because he couldn't stop smoking weed in the second round. He lost Mm -hmm. millions and millions of dollars. So sorry for the long answer, but it's just – just don't be afraid there's because it doesn't matter if you hit the goal or not, because no one's going to remember you. No one's going to care. And ultimately when you're on your deathbed, all you're going to care is if you tried, that's it, it's the trying. It's not even if you hit the goal. And it, I know a lot of people won't believe that who are listening to this, but I'm telling you, there's nothing on the other side of hitting your goal. You'll just feel the same. You, you won't really feel that different, but you will feel different if you put everything you have into it. So that would be my advice, bro
0: bars well said (laughs) sound advice i hope
1: you guys are listening man's (laughs) dropping
0: some value uh tanner where uh where can the audience find you if you want to get connected potentially uh you know take advantage of some of your services
1: yeah honestly just like go to my ig you know dm me at tanner.chidister and uh yeah let us know you came from the podcast i mean honestly like that that's actually one of the things i'm trying to do is like just connect uh for more people from the podcast and the audience and so Just put in the name of the podcast, DM me, and uh, I'd love to connect. Yeah, I'm in there all day. Let's go. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Tanner, you're a stud. We'll see you guys
0: on the next episode. As always, be great. Continue to crush it. Peace out.